Hi, Shelley. How are you going? Good, thanks, Kat. How are you? Not too bad. How are you going in lockdown? Yep, still here, still locked down. <laughs> One day we'll escape. We've always got to give our, like, update of where we are in lockdown so when we listen to this in 10 years' time we can, we can chuckle about it. <laughs> All right. So what's our topic for today? We are going to talk about the conundrum of competing versus loving your horse and can you do both or do we have to choose one or the other okay all right okay this is a real good can of worms question this one (laughs) okay so can you compete and love your horse at the same time yes well I think definitely at lower levels there's this idea that we can do both and that we're not pushing the horse but I wonder whether when you get to teaching some of the higher level movements and the expectations on you the muscle that's needed in the horse etc might make it harder to choose your horse first in the sport yeah so that compete yeah that whole tagline out there is choose the horse first you know sport second yeah um now first of all I want to say I think there's a whole lot of people out there competing that would hear that and go of course I love my horse yeah. Of course I do. You know, the abhorrent. I'm sure Carl Hester would turn around and go, of course I love my horse. Um, and I think kind of the, the kind of the journey that I've been on and, and you've been on as well is that my – and, like, I loved competing. <laughs> I love competing. But the more awareness and understanding of training and everything behind, like, developing a horse and protecting a horse – and damaging horses yeah. through what you're doing with it, it absolutely opened my eyes to how much horses can be damaged through the process and you've really got to know what you're doing um, and the horse requires a lot of support and a lot of time and, um, you and know, money. a lot of focus and a lot of, yeah, well, you do. So just say with me is when I started getting awareness because I had to teach horses to do certain movements, right? When I learned how to train and teach a horse, teaching them to do a movement was actually not hard. You could teach them to put their body in certain shapes and to do certain steps and to do certain things. That's actually what not that difficult, right? Yeah. So there's people that can show you. They can pull a donkey out of the paddock and teach it to like <laughs> look like PF, right? Yeah. So it's actually not that hard teaching them what to actually do. The problem comes when they've got to be able to do the movement without that movement damaging them. Yeah. And, and they this don't is blow the thing up that, their hocks and their Yeah, cycles. so this is what I started doing. When I really started delving into the more collected work with the horse that I had, um, that and, and I blew, kept blowing his stifles up. Yep. All right, that was pretty hard to take, but it, it kind of took me on a journey and down the whole bike that I had a horse that um, was not built to be able to just withstand, with you know, his confirmation of how he was built made collection work for him more difficult. Yep. So because it was more difficult, it didn't mean that he couldn't do it, but it meant that I had to damn well prepare him gymnastically 
well enough to do that. So whereas a horse might have a more of a natural, like a natural kind of confirmation to be able to do it and withstand it, he required a lot more muscular and gymnastic support so that it didn't damage him. Yeah. So that took me, that made me really, uh, my eyes open about confirmation and the impact that has on, you know, how horses are able to perform things and remain sound and not be damaged by them. Yeah. But it also then took me on a path down understanding the purpose of exercises and how you prepare horses to develop that gymnastic strength and fitness to be able to do that. And what I discovered is that it's a hell of a lot of work. So yeah. when you're someone that is got a normal job, <laughs> right, <laughs> that, that can't necessarily work their horse every day or can't work multiple horses every day so that your rider fitness, your gymnastic strength and core strength and everything like that, you know, is not at Olympic level, <laughs> that all has these ramifications. So just say someone that, you know, works full time and, you know, had the one horse and they're just a normal a normal person with that lots of people running around that can do things for them, that really is, that's really hard work, you know, yep. that's a real, really biting off a lot of the moment. you know, that's really asking a lot, that's a lot of pressure. That's, that's a system at risk of collapse, of not working. Now, I'm not saying there's people out there which are so goddamn amazing that work full-time, have 16 kids and um, <laughs> they're just a normal person and have taken their horse to Grand Prix. Like they are totally out out there okay they are out but there they're the exception massive... and they're not the rule yeah yeah it's not so when you're when you're not being able to focus many hours to your own development writing and your own core strength and development and everything like that and your horse has not been able to get that you know consistent work on the on a really particular surface with all the other things that go along with trying to support the athlete and stuff like that you're just at risk of the horse ending up um, something happening, <laughs> um, you know, something going wrong, you know, yep. because developing an un- unsoundness. Not only that, add to it another thing is, is that every horse you train, you get better and better at it because you make mistakes right? yep. and you learn from your mistakes. But, you know, when you're someone that's only going to own, that's only owned maybe eight horses in their life, you know, he's still making mistakes by number eight. But when you, you know, you've been a professional rider and you've gone through 35 horses, <laughs> you know, because you're riding all the time, you're riding four, five, six, seven, eight horses per day or whatever, and you're working on all these, you're learning a lot more and a lot quicker. And not only that, you're working intensely with people that have trained 200 horses. Yeah. So there's this system developed of minimizing risk, of m- maximizing things, of learning and everything like that. And when you're just, someone that does it as a hobby and you've got the full-time job and you've got kids as well and you've got, you know, you've just got the handful of horse experience in your life and you get to, you know, you can pay to go to your instructor. Maybe you might be very lucky and go once a week, you know, but you can only ride your horse four days a week and, and things like that. You just, it doesn't mean to say that you can't progress at all. That is totally not true, but it's the exception. You know, you're at and risk it's gonna be hard. of the horse. Yeah. And so then what happens is then the awareness for me was like, wow, you know, like this is, this is a real hardcore thing I'm asking this horse to do physically. Um, and then when it's hardcore physically, it also means it's hardcore mentally. Yeah. So it's like, wow, I'm asking a lot of this horse for me to go off to these competitions. Um, and that makes you think. That really does make you think. 
And so what I had to do at my place in time when I was okay, so with me, I was, you know, I had my full-time academic job and then all my spare time was doing a lot of coaching that I only had this little sliver of time for my horses and I had to stop competing. Yeah. So I had to stop competing and I stopped competing when I kept because that was all at the same time. I then started blowing this horse's stifles up a number of times and that's when I realised that there's a whole lot of factors involved in this horse. Yes, it was his confirmation. Yes, it was um, me having to learn how to get a horse that wasn't the greatest confirmation, you know, to dig a little bit deeper and be even more careful in his development. Yeah, and then having this time restriction and things like that that I realised then um, the realities were that I couldn't expect him to, I, I was expecting too much. I was risking him too much. Yeah. So then I stopped, you know, I, I, I put a line. I didn't say that I wasn't going, I'm not going to say I'm not going to compete again. That's wrong. It's just that at the moment my focus is coaching, giving clinics and doing this line of work. Uh, and I had to put my competition career on hold. Not that my competition career was, you know, heading to the Olympics or anything like that. <laughs> it was just more that I respect the role of competition in yep. in training horses. What about you, Kat? I feel like a fraud sitting here having this conversation because I haven't been out competing doing very much. <laughs> Oh, don't know, but okay. Well, let's talk about the purpose. But you're the same. Goodness oh, me. yeah. You know, like how can you? You know, like you've got this, you know, demanding job where you work physically hard on horses, helping a whole lot of horses. Is that you kind of become one of the kind of, um, you know, clogs in the wheel to yeah. help other people get up and yeah. going. You know, so and when kind I look of- at how much time goes into me riding my horse every day. Yeah. And having a lesson once a week and keeping him sound and fit and myself fit and going to the gym and all of these other things, trying to put competing and floating him out every couple of days on top of that, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, it is because that's the thing. The more you try, so that's another thing you just brought up. So preparing a horse for competition to be able to um, emotionally deal with competition means that you got to get the horse really good with going out and about. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to put a lot of effort into training there and going to different venues and stuff like that. So there is this massive time component to it. Yeah. yeah, so that's another thing I just And I've got to put know. my whole, like, life on hold to do that and that's something that I'm working on right now but I haven't had the ability or the money to be able to do that previously. Yeah, yeah. But there is a role for competition and there is a definitely a role for grassroots lower-level competition. Like, I want to talk about the benefits of competition and, and, and I'm not saying that everyone should go and do it but there is, like, this really special insight that, trying to compete a horse in a sport does and it doesn't matter what it is my my favorite sport is dressage but I also absolutely had a go at reining and I'm absolutely in love with reining if I go back to competing I'll probably go back to reining you know because I just I thoroughly enjoyed that that sport um but I love my dressage too so it has a role and the role that it gave me was like one of one competing gave me training goals yeah so it was very good to keep my head in the game about what I was training um, and how and, and really noting the progress of that horse so I could make decisions about what competitions to enter and when. Yeah. 
yeah. and when to step up a level. So it really it gave me a lot of awareness to be aware of how my horse was going in certain yeah. things. Um, then it had the other thing that it did, it was incredibly humbling. <laughs> so, yeah, my I'm, I'm going so well. <laughs> then you'd go into that competition arena and, it, you know, the wheels would all fall off and, and really the generalisation of your training, your preparation for that, that particular moment kind of got unpicked, <laughs> yeah. got revealed. And so you got great feedback from going to competition, okay? And I think now, it gives you a level of respect other people who are yeah, competing at a high it does. level. Too. Yeah, so there's a lot of people out there that kind of criticise top riders or people that compete and stuff like that because they don't compete and they have this high kind of high and mighty kind of attitude that competition's evil, yeah. um, you know, and they're somehow rather better because they don't compete. But it's just like competition's good for your soul. It's good for your soul in terms of like it it unravels you. And having anything that unravels you and confronts you can actually be a good thing. So, and it, that doesn't mean that when you go into just say, which is I pick a dressage test, you go into a dressage test and it all falls apart, right? That doesn't <laughs> mean you did a shit, you did a really crappy um, kind of preparation for it. You know, it could have been like I had a good friend that, you know, the horse has been going super, but when her test came on, like, you know, at the at the venue, this big like kind of truck, water truck with a big sprinkler <laughs> rambled up the road beside us, spraying everything. You know, and the horse, the horse got really worried about it. So her test, um, you know, her test fell to pieces. Um, now she, the things can happen in there. So it's not saying every time a dressage test is terrible, you, it all fell apart. It's more like when one all comes together, it's just like you know that's like a lot of moons, a lot of effort went into that yeah. and a bit of luck you yeah. know, about the environment and stuff like that as well. Um, but you also notice the more you compete and the more you go out, the more the horse gets better with a lot of stuff, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of positiveness. So I'll just go through it again. So first of all, it helps target your training, makes you more aware of how your horse is performing and how they're dealing with stuff. It really helps you get in your mind about your training program, like what you're up to and what you're doing with a horse. And I heard it described once, the role of competition is, we know how they put together video games? Yeah. It's a whole theory and a whole kind of way that video games are put together. And at the end of each level, there's always a challenge, right, <laughs> that you got to, like yeah. you might have to fight a monster or something yeah. like that. There's something that, and each level prepares you to fight, like it's got things within that level that prepare you to fight the monster at the end, okay. Yeah. It's actually called, it's actually technically got a name, it's called a boss challenge, right. So what do the tests actually do to your training? They actually act as this boss challenge. So kind of it, it's kind of like and it's good, it's a good challenge and you get to do a whole lot of things. So you've got to prepare the horse first of all over this period of time when you're getting ready for the competition. You've got to prepare them for the venue. Yeah. And then there's all this strategy that goes into play into how you warm your horse up and prepare your horse at that moment. Yeah. You know, and there's all like things of ring craft and things like that. There's all this, it's this real massive challenge to you, okay, that's challenging and it's challenging you personally as well to cope with pressure. So I love it. I absolutely adore competing because of like 
all these bits to it, you know, that you can really lay out and have a look at and have strategies and, you know, and you get over in the, you get over pretty quickly. Um, if, if you have a right attitude and you understand what you're actually doing and it's this massive challenge, you get over doing crap <laughs> yeah. because it's just feedback, you know, it's just like, right, okay, there's a weakness, you know, there's something that's what I did wrong, you know, like this, this I can probably do and fix this up or you just laugh at it because you can't do anything about the water truck squirting everything everywhere yeah, and prepared yeah. for that, you know, you have a bit of a laugh or, you know, you get a judge that just won't necessarily like you for some reason, a bit of subjectivity and stuff like that. But as I tell people, the main thing is if I can go out of that, walk out of that arena and I'm just happy how my horse went. Like as I say to people that get a little bit down, I said, did you feel safe on your horse? Do you think he tried his best? Could you understand everything? And if they go, yeah, I said, well, you're a winner. You know, you got the blue mitt. You got the blue ribbon because that person that might have come first, I think they were like crapping their ducks. <laughs> you know, I, think, uh, I don't think they had a fun as fun or relaxing time as you had. You might have been a little frustrated with the judges' score, but at least you weren't like waiting to die. So you know, and it is a subjective sport. So you know, yeah. like you got to learn to get over it. And you got to learn to see it as this thing of all these challenges and this lovely intricate kind of wovenness that all weaves together so you know i i love competing for that but as you say i've got a as as we talked about before it's about when you become aware of the pressure on the horse the risks to the horse that that makes you kind of step back and think about things and and as i said i took myself out of competing when i realized that my time was too compromised to prepare my horse properly yeah and not only that, I realised that I had a horse that its confirmation was putting it at risk of where I wanted to go. So now from that learning experience I learned, right, if I want to, you know, learn and get up levels in, in a particular sport, I now know to say from that experience that the horse's confirmation is so important. Yeah. Of buying. And I never used to think that was, you know, I used to have this attitude that I could teach a horse to do anything. Sure, you can teach any horse to do any of the movements. But it doesn't mean he's going to stay sound. No, and it doesn't mean. It means that, you know, this this horse here with these, you know, long back short leg built, you know, built downhill immensely and you're going to make that, you know, flex its hocks and sit, (laughs) you know, which is really hard for it as compared to this other horse here which is just built to do it with ease. You know, the poor one that's built downhill, you know, that's, that's built to struggle with it, they're going to have a way harder time than this horse that's not going to struggle so much with it. So is that really fair to do it to that horse, you know? So but any horse, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say sometimes there will be that one that doesn't follow that rule and it's the exception. absolutely, yeah. But do you want to be putting bets on that one if you've only got one horse in your stable? That's right. And you just got to be like that that when you, you care for your horse. And so what, what I try to do with my particular training because of where I focus it, I set people up with a foundation of learning and education where to put a good foundation on that horse, yeah. okay, to really get the relax, the rhythm and relaxation down pat, the suppleness down pat and get their contact kind of established and going. So then they're set up to go to the other experts that are going to work on their riding and their straightness and collection and all those yeah. type of things. Um, but, yeah, it's just – it's just knowing. So what I do is I know as well most people are going to be absolutely stoked 
and have a great time with their horse just going up to novice, yeah. you know, in dressage, you know, just lower levels. So the horse goes, <clears throat> the horse does, you know, three lovely gates, nice transitions, bit of laterals. Yeah. You know, that's, that's enough to put on a horse to also help build it gymnastically as well. And it's also, if it ended up in another home, it's got enough buttons that it's going to be safe for life. Yeah, you're going to be able to do a lot of nice things with that horse with that level of training on it, you know. It's going to be enough to protect it. You might do a little bit of laterals and stuff like that. Um, and you're going to have a lot of fun on that horse. You know, they're going to be able to do lots of things with that horse. So that's the kind of area that I focus on because people only really have so much time and a horse that's going to it's going to be able to do that with ease and have a lot of fun and it's not going to break down and you know it's not going to get stressed and it's stifles blown up or it's hocks blown up or you know arthritis in its neck and it's you know yeah. and a whole lot of things so, so do you think that you can get to the top levels without having wear and tear on the hocks and the stifles and those things or is every horse that wears, by the time it gets to Grand Prix going to be looking at like joint injections? And Oh, well, I think, well, unfortunately that's what happens in the – okay, first of all, I'm going to say this. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon if you – I reckon there's people out there with a the skill to be able to do that. Yeah. I really do. However, you've got to remember that you're going to start with an animal of a certain genetic predisposition that might have some arthritic changes to it at the age of two. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so genes, so the way the horse is bred, the breeding lines and everything like that of how the horse genetically what they're predisposed is is going to is going to impact on it. Yeah, and then of course, yeah, I do believe there are people out there with those skills to be able to do that with a horse. Absolutely, that really know what they're doing. Yeah, and you know that take their time because that's what I did. And I I could teach horses to you know, to do a half pass pretty easily. You know, that wasn't hard. It was just that how I was doing them and when I was doing them not in order and not developing the horse strength enough is that the exercise became uh, destructive instead of um, protective, yeah. you know, because that's what those exercise, those movements can be destructive yeah. if you don't do them right. Like a sit-up can be destructive if you don't do it right. Yeah, you know, you got to have the right muscles engaged, or if you do it too often, and... exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you got to have the nice. Are there people out there that can that can do it and minimize damage? Hell yeah! Can they make the horse stronger and more sound? Hell yeah! I bet they are. You know, they are out there. Um, but of course, you're starting with whatever the horse is predisposed to, um, yeah. and then you got the whole spectrum, as we were talking about before we started the. The podcast is that everyone will sit on a spectrum of their abilities. Yeah. Um, you know, and just use this rule, this rule that a horse's gait should actually get better with training, not worse. <laughs> How many horses do you see that go fabulous in young horse classes and look spectacular? And by the time they're at, you know, advanced, they're just dinking along, you know, their movement's all gone because they yeah. might be doing the advanced movements, but they've actually you know the training's actually been partly destructive to them they've lost their suppleness and their range of movement and they're you know sore. they're probably they're sore yeah because because the training's being destructive and i think that's a that's a big gap between you know how you've got the war between the modern dressage and in inverted commas that compete and the classical dressage people 
yeah. is the classical dressage. People are very focused on soundness and protection and gymnastic development and the <clears throat> modern dressage people. There still are modern dressage people who are a big percentage that know this jolly well, but there is a percentage of them that are a bit oblivious to it and they just see movement as something that you do in a dressage test. They don't necessarily understand the gymnastic role or how to support those movements through training. There's that little bit of a gap. So, yeah, so there's a whole lot of horses out there being competed at a high level, um, you know, that do the movements, but they just they, they don't do them very well. <laughs> it's quite easy to pick the ones, <laughs> you know. They're not the people at the Olympics. <laughs> no. Yeah. And um, probably some of the Olympic courses are breaking down as well. Yeah, but if you're needing to start giving joint supplements and injection and penazan and all that type of thing, you know, you, you've, you've made some mistakes with your training. Yeah. You know, but then people are learning. Like, oh, it's no different. Like, I'm not going to criticise them. It's a journey. It's, it's, a crea- it's, a cre- it's a massive creative effort that you're doing. You're building a living creature, a living, thinking, feeling creature that is not designed to be ridden and, you know, you're doing things to it that put it under a lot of stress and strain. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. So can you compete your horse and love it at the same time? Hell yeah. Um, Is it going to be hard work? Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. And you've got to know about a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that's really what blew my mind is the more, the deeper I got in it, and it was all from making every single thing I learned was from making a mistake, whether it means yeah. making my horse's mouth bleed, not being able to do a, you know, a can of walk transition without my arms falling off or, <laughs> you know, blowing my horse's stifles up or, you know, going through 16 bits and 15 different saddles. And, you know, you learn from your mistakes. But, um, yeah, so the you roll when people go, oh, I'm going to compete Grand Prix on this horse when they tell me I really want to get to Grand Prix. And it's just like, well, you've got a lot you're going to have to learn. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to this art and it is an art and a science. You've got to know it the is. science and you've got to learn the art and every horse is going to present to you a different art piece because they've all got their strengths and their weaknesses mentally and physically and emotionally. Yeah, but if you don't know what you need to know, they'll be sure to teach you. Oh, yeah. Or as I said, they break. They break or get freaked out, pissed off, you know, or their paces and everything just go to pieces. You know, it's there. It's evident. And any time you experience frustration with a horse, any time, red flag, you've gone in somewhere that you don't have that you... You don't have the tools. No, you're missing the knowledge. You're missing the knowledge. So go hunting. So... It's really cool those people, you know, those rare people that are said that take their horse to Grand Prix and do fabulously and work full time and, yeah. you know, <laughs> put it all together. They're pretty extraordinary people and they're normally full of a lot of information because they're dedicated in learning and listening and, you know, watching and, you know, and working stuff out. You know, they're pretty incredible. There's no one that just goes oblivious and just goes and does it. You know, the, those people are normally quite extraordinary. Yeah, and lucky because they managed to get a horse that didn't blow up this <laughs> <at least> physically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I think we'll, super interesting. We, yeah, it is interesting. So yeah, so competition, I believe, has its role. Um, if you don't compete, good for you. That's you know, that's absolutely you don't have to compete. But people that do compete, or you're interested in it, can actually have a real positive experience. It can actually do positive things for your training. It can do positive things for your relationship with your horse because it does drive it to the next level. 
Um, It does humble you. It does make you realize that, look at me doing the flying change. Here, I can do flying changes. Yeah, try doing them at at the test at this position, at this marker, at this time with that going on over there. And then you'll find out how generalized and excellent your your flying change response is. (laughs) You know, and then judges. Why don't we just finish off giving like a bit of a talk about comments from judges can be good. Sometimes they're infuriating and you want to roll your eyes. (laughs) But there's always a bit of truth in them. You know, you can always, if you completely disagree with them, there'll be like some truth in them. And, um, you know, and even though you might disagree with 99%, there'll be something in there you can say, well, I'm taking that away from it. I'm grateful for that, you know. (laughs) Yes. So there we go. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Shelley. My pleasure. And I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Okay. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to Candor Therapy. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave a rating and a review where you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we're at Canter Therapy Podcast. You can find Shelley on Facebook at Dr. Shelley Appleton, Horse Training Coach, or she has a fantastic group called Calm, Willing, Confident Horses, where she's been doing weekly lives. If you'd like to find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Forenza Park. Have an amazing week, guys, and make sure you hug your ponies.